0: How's it going, everyone? Today we have a incredible special guest, um, Mr. Forrest Lang, who has got quite the story. And um, well, if you wanted to basically put him on a, a bulletin board, I would say veteran, um, orphan, tattoo artist, uh, addict when it comes to alcohol, abuse victim. And when I say these things. It, it's kind of it's kind of mind blowing because for someone to endure one of these things is a lot, but for someone to carry the the curse of all these like you, Forrest, it kind of uh, it's kind of inspiring to see you kicking ass right now. And I won't go on further to say that the reason I kind of fell upon your page on Instagram and stuff is that obviously I my security company works with a lot of veterans, and uh, my CEO is a breed veteran. So the idea of PTSD and helping veterans. Get a job once they leave, or this type of thing. But we're very into that, working with programs and with all the branches to kind of find these men and women jobs. And so, a couple of people we work with, and we hired you work. Where I saw them kind of follow your stuff, and again, like uh, the good aspect of social media, I start reading your story. And I'm like, at first, I'm like, again, this this can't be real. Like this is this is a work. This is a book. That this character be a veteran. That create this awesome story that hey, good versus evil, all this. But when I started, this is real life, this is for slang. And I'm so grateful you're here. And I can't wait to kind of talk to you and pick your brain ab- about your life and how you inspire others. Thank you, big guy. I'm great,
1: it's an honor, man.
0: So, <laughs> one of the one of the crazy things, obviously, the last year is the pandemic. And before we kind of kick into your your Career and your background and your story, have you found the last year kind of? Did it affect you anyway, whether negative or positive, in terms of your past um, events? Did it make them stronger or weaker? Did how do you feel over the course of this last year?
1: Of course, it affected me just like it affected everyone else. And you know what I noticed is that you know we, in, in essence, we fight how we train. Right. And, and I'm not trying to put blame on, you know, my friends committed suicide during this process or OD or, but um, everyone's level, especially, especially mental level of resilience was pushed far this year. And um, I, I have been affected but I've been able to put myself in a place like, dude, in the very first beginning part of the pandemic, right? Like, I got a lot of buddies, in that community and recovery community and stuff, and I, I, I heard people over say they weren't afraid, right? I ain't scared of this pandemic. I'm not scared of this and that. And I was, I really sat and thought about it, and I, man, I'm scared, you know. I mean, we didn't know anything about the coronavirus. We didn't know what was going to happen uh, economically to us. We didn't know if our friends were going to Things that I was, I started telling people that I was afraid. I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm fucking scared right now, man. It right. happened. And then other people would go, oh, yeah, I'm scared too. Cause he said he's scared. It's okay for me to admit that I'm scared. And I just sat here for a couple, like a week or so. And I just let myself be afraid and that ended. Like, that's, that's the cool thing about fear. It eventually will end.
0: Yeah. I think uh, it's okay to be fearful too, right? Like, there's nothing well, wrong w- with it.
1: Yeah, it's human to be afraid, man. I mean, and it's cliche, but you, you can't be courageous or brave unless like you're afraid, man. You're well, not, no, you, you know, you you said, right.
0: Uh, and so in terms of the benefits of the pandemic, were you able to kind of get more creative when it came to your tattooing or artwork and stuff like that? And were you able to draw inspiration from what was currently going on?
1: I got more creative and how tattoo, man. I mean, it was like the underground there for a little while. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, I think my first clients, uh, when all, when everything shut down and, you know, the shop closed and my first clients were all the cops and firefighters that I tattooed, man. Cause they were like essential work. Um, yes. and, and I did get, uh, I did have the ability to become better at social media is an important thing for what I'm doing with a with memoir I wrote called Angel Blue, right? You're right. How we communicate. And I did I did get better at that. I mean I'm still a Gen Xer man and it's not necessarily uh my my pool uh very active in social media but I learned a lot about it during the pandemic. It's and-
0: one of those it's a necessary evil I think too because obviously if it wasn't for Instagram I wouldn't be able to find about you and hear about your story. Um, and there's countless others, too, where it's like if social media is used in a, a, a great way, it can be a very powerful and amazing tool. But oftentimes I, I go to bed and I go, like, why did I just spend an hour looking at negative energy, hate, um, just the rhetoric? Uh, it doesn't matter what side of belief any belief you're on. It's just why can't you just be good people? There's no empathy. And for you, I think it, the other thing, too, with your story is that it is so powerful that – you do need social media to help get your story out there so others who are struggling like you have or maybe even continue to do so can still find that kind of shoulder to lead on with you i was really angry
1: when i found out i had to have instagram publish a book man i was like <laughs> isn't me?" Like, like you know and, and uh yeah i i see where the pitfalls of it are of course you know there's a whole lot of not good enough on social media right like because numbers don't lie, right? If if p- not a lot of people are interested in what you're saying, then you probably don't have something interesting to say, right? Right. If, and that's that's the assumption. It's not necessarily always true, but yeah, man, it it can be tough. It can be tough. But the the thing that makes it the hardest, and the thing that I remember the most when I'm acting with people uh, via computer screen or my black mirror that I hold in my hand and, and in my pocket, is that when when i'm looking at a screen mirror neurons are not active and we we possess mirror neurons that allow us to hear and experience empathy or anger or like whatever the thing is with another human being when we're looking in our eyes and it is not activated at that time so i tread extra light, i tread um way more carefully and i think more about what i'm going to say or how i'm going to respond to somebody because i mean you know i get trolled and stuff and other people say things i might misunderstand
0: right which it's easier i often find myself that where if i'm sending an email out or something my tone can either come off as okay cool or but but how i say it i can come off and, wow is this guy mad at me And i never want to which which is why would i reach out to you and you say hey, can i call you just to talk before it kind of caught me off guard in like a really cool way because i'm like i'm so used to that being like me an email, yeah, no problem. Uh, we'll do it. Let me know. Send me the link. Well, okay, cool. Which is great. But for you to call me out, it kind of been, man. This is gonna be a really cool talk because he, he bring, he's bringing this human aspect to what we're doing. And Absolutely. you don't know who I was. I don't know who you are in a sense. And for us to have that ten minute phone call, it, that's that's powerful stuff, man.
1: Awesome, man. Yeah, I appreciate. It. Now, awesome.
0: it would in terms of the the book, is this Obviously, you kind of told me before how you had to deal with the publisher and agent kind of like, hey, you need to fix this or fix that. But how scary was it for you in terms of putting this out there on pen to paper, your story, for someone off the street to just read your story? Like in terms of your
1: life, where is this? It's scary, man, because I'm, you know, I'm telling you. I mean, I'm I'm a regular dude. I'm not... uh you know, some kind of doctor or scientist or. right? you know, I'm a, I'm a working class tattooer. And for me to put it all out there, right. That, you know, my older brother was molesting me when I was a little kid. My mom was beating on me and, you know, do, doing all this like really gnarly stuff. And then, you know, my stepdad beat, the. are we allowed to cuss on this show? Yeah. This is a yeah. free, you're not going to be censored whatsoever. Fuck out of me. and like, God, uh, you know, and then I was running away, and then, you know, I ended up in a, in a weird foster care situation where uh, my foster mom was insulting me to for a guy like to to talk and, and admit that stuff to other people is still very uncomfortable, man. Like the first person I ever told told me to shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? I was still, but he couldn't handle it. You know, because guys aren't used to talking about and dealing with that stuff, and and on top of that. You know, I'm 43 years old today. I'm not here to cry about my childhood. You know right. I mean? The whole reason that I put that stuff in there is so I, I could say, hey yeah, this stuff did happen. And I processed it, but I'm okay today. And I'm able to be successful and have purpose and have drive. And the main reason that I'm inspired to do so is because when I worked in the veteran communities as a volunteer, I realized how many, Of my brothers, ancestors went through something similar, and it drove them towards the military. Not all, but but a high number. That's with PTSD, with with you know CPTSD or whatever.
0: Right now, as you're growing up, did you were you raised in a religious home or like I don't I don't like I'm I'm sorry, rephrase this. Yeah. Did you have something like a God or like a higher power you could kind of pray to or just talk to if you weren't getting that, obviously, from your stepfather, mother, your family, or the people who are doing the bad stuff to you?
1: Well, uh, the kind of religion that I was exposed to when I was a kid um, w- was very unhealthy. I-, I was very angry at whatever concept God uh, that was. When... My- my mother laid me over a bench, a picnic bench. We were real, you know, poor. So we had a picnic table yep. and my stepfather had a compressed paddle and he was just hit so with that thing, man. I was like, Oh, so there, you know, and those recollections, like that stuff burns into your memory. And my mom, the Bible, me while that happened. So I associated God with, or a religion with getting hurt and I was very angry at what I understood as God and I hated God as a child. Right.
0: And so when you, what's crazy here, you, you run away, become an orphan, you go to orphanages, but as you run away from this evil, you get sucked back into another evil at the orphanage with the, it's just like at that, at that point in your life, are you just, are you right now thinking I could never get away from this?
1: I didn't understand it at that point, right? All I knew, and and this happens a lot with vulnerable children, man. I was 12 years old and, you know, vulnerable kids without somebody out for them, somebody having their true best interest at heart or loving them, are are more open or likely to be exploited by a pedophile, right? Um, When I got to that home, I thought I had it made, you know, because I got to eat food, I got to listen to music, um, I could hear what I wanted, I could smoke cigarettes, I didn't like, um, mentally, I didn't like it at all, but it was no big deal compared to where I came from at the time, But so as a kid, I wasn't processing that yet, and I was still so, I didn't really realize what man, until my 20s, I didn't start to realize what happened in my childhood, I just shrugged it off, I was like, whatever bad stuff happening i'm here now you know
0: right so what was the catalyst that got you to actually join specifically the navy was that just uh, uh why that branch was there something that works like like you kind of mentioned before like with the veterans other veterans men and women have this ptsd like why they jumped to the military armed forces uh because of something you went through similar was that something that, was it the build up to that when you're 16, 17, to like, hey, I just got to get away from this, hopefully just get away from here?
1: It was it was an opportunity, man. The reason particularly I, I chose the Navy uh, is because I didn't have a high school diploma and they took me with diploma, man. Um, you know, it didn't matter what branch I went to and I knew nothing about the military. And I, I just kind of stumbled in and I, I didn't know what a hospital was. I, I didn't know, like... I thought I was going to go on boats, you know, and uh, right. I, I I worked in a hospital and I worked with Marines, I but I had zero, like I didn't come from a military or have a lot of in, uh, in military life as a youngster. I had, you know, long hair and was in a rock and roll band, uh, but it was, it was the only way out for me.
0: Did you find it? I mean, looking back now,
1: I'm sure there's. A sense of irony, but your
0: job in the navy was to look after others, basically total strangers, um, when you couldn't get that help yourself before the military.
1: Yeah, ish. I mean, you know, a lot of the first couple of years we're learning how to look for people. A, a hospital corpsman, uh, I guess, a little better now, but most of the way we learn is on the job. And um, I worked, I worked in a hospital, just doing minor patient care stuff, and. You know, I was I was very client back then. In hindsight, in hindsight, when I look at that stuff, man, it makes me so grateful that I get goosebumps. I learned how to brush my teeth in the Navy, man. I didn't right. know.
0: And it's crazy that you had to get that through a military branch and not at home, it, right, which is kind of – I can't really wrap my head around because here I am, your age, I was playing sports. I was yearbook. I was uh, doing – going to CC, I was doing all this stuff with different clubs and groups. You never had that. And it's, for me, it's like, it, it really hits home that you still, even with all this craziness up until this point, you still had a sense to keep
1: pushing forward. I wanted to live, man. I wanted to live. I saw other people around me not living. I saw where the game, saw where the drugs went. I was a full blown alcoholic, but you know, when, 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 the tough essay dude in the neighborhood, you know, that that I was afraid of sucking dick for heroin. It looks very unattractive to me. You know what I mean? And right. I wanted to get out. I wanted, I, I just wanted to live. I wanted to survive, but I was afraid. You know, I was very, I grew up in, in Oxnard, California in the nineties, man. And it was, it was pretty violent place. And, you know, I was the wrong color there. And I just wanted to get away and do something to be an artist. <laughs> Right.
0: It's just, just incredible. I mean, a lot of times people don't realize that will to live will cause you as an individual to bite do stuff that on the outside, you're like, well, that's breaking the law or that's bad for you, but they don't understand why you're doing it. It's like every time, I love those hypothetical things where it's like, well, you're a single mother or father and you have no money uh, and you, your daughter needs this medication. Would you break into the the gro- the grocery store or the pharmacy to grab those meds and your people? kids. And it's like, yeah, I would.
1: <laughs> I said, how many people do I have to kill the kids? I'm in.
0: <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. So it's like, I, people don't, it's easy for people to judge someone like you. But when you put that hypothetical thing on them, like, hey, if I need to live on the streets or I need to, I need my fix, I need to get it this way to stay alive and push forward you're going to do that or whatever you can to survive. I don't, it's, it must be, I just don't like when people preach that, Oh, that's illegal. You can't do that. I, I'm, I'm good at two shoes. Well, you can still be a good person, but you can still be drawn to, to make the right call. And it might not be the maybe it's the legal true. one.
1: Right. Like I, I watched this movie, the Joker, right. The newest Joker movie. Yeah. That, and uh the dude, he's a, he's a lame man. Like, and, and they try to blame it on his childhood. They try to blame it on, you know, like A, B, and C. It was like some kind of house of horror. And I, and I was thinking, watching this thing, well, dude, you didn't even get lusted, bro. Like, what are you crying about? You know what I mean? Like, just thinking of like, if a person's going to be a and use that as an excuse to to be a villain and to be evil, right? Um, that I don't think there's any excuse. Although, I don't think that there's very many bad people in prison. Right. There's right. some, but I don't think there's very, much. I think there's a lot of wounded people who, who had bad circumstances and who, you know, hopefully get a chance at some point to turn their life around. Right. Right.
0: It's like that scene in the uh, Shawshank Redemption where Andy goes to red and so he's like, well, I'm, I'm innocent. We're all innocent in here. And yeah, uh, yeah no, it, it's a really good point. It's just, man. So you get, you're in the Navy doing the core stuff. How do you get out of, you have an honorable um, discharge for the Navy. And then from there, is that, wh- what was your plan leaving the Navy this time going back to California?
1: So I was in California my first five years in the Navy. I worked at Balboa. It was really boring. I thought I was going to be some warrior, right? Like once we got fired up and Field Med, yeah, rah, 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 and that worked, I felt like glorified And I did five years in the 90s. It, there was not a lot going on then. With with a special like special forces or something, and uh, so I get out, and I, my plan was to go to college uh, to to be an illustrator. I wanted to be an illustrator for a big company or something, and I started to go to school, and I was I was getting sober again, and I still stuff, suffer very strongly from psychosis, um, from racing thoughts, from poor decision making. And once again, when I talk about taking responsibility, right, I take full responsibility. I walked out of my foster the last time at 16 and a half, right? Right. And on responsibility for my life, right? Most of the choices that I made got me in a spot subconsciously. They were choices that I didn't even know I was making and really making. And I made a bad choice a few months after. Got out. Negligent discharge. And my best friend died in my arms. I shot and killed. Him. And I just believe that I deserve to die. They should throw me in prison. I should be all done. And in no way will I make an excuse or ability for that accident. And I forgive myself to that accident. Right. Right. I went on trial for murder, and I got acquitted a year later at, at a jury trial. Right, they had the whole jury trial and everything. Right, and when I got acquitted, I was expecting to go to prison for five years. You know, that's what my lawyer thought, was what I thought I deserved. And when I didn't, I I want I was so angry with myself. I wanted, to, you know, I didn't kill myself because I didn't want to be remembered. As Forrest, the like guy suicide, right? I, right. No matter what you do in your life, if you commit suicide, that's what people are for, right? Right. So I decided to go back into the Navy and volunteer to go to Iraq or Afghanistan and, and hopefully die in combat. So Forrest and combat save somebody versus Forrest, this other thing. Now, is there a weird.
0: Type, I mean, obviously, with the paperwork, like, you get off that acquitted. Does the Navy look at that and be kind of like, well, why are you coming back? Or, I mean, do they, they care at that point? Or do they need people to be over there serving? You ever gone to go buy a car? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah, I got you.
1: The recruit wants to sell you a car, you know, yes. he's your advocate, right? And he looked at it, and he goes, you know, you didn't get convicted of anything. We're just going to tuck this in here and don't about it. And I didn't re enlist. W- what happens when you join the military is you're in for eight years. You have an eight year contract, whatever part of it is active. Right. And you go into in- inactive ready reserve. So all I did is activate. I was already in, technically. So I activated uh, into the reserves and became the- an active reservist. Involved. So after the
0: the you get acquitted, at this point, I mean, that was your best friend. So, do you have anyone just tied back in the navy, or anyone that you can kind of talk to through this whole process, or is this again just you, Forrest, alone fighting these demons by yourself?
1: Oh man, I was in recovery by then. So when when I got to when I got to twelve step recovery, the first time was kind of meh. I was still in. I wasn't willing to be vulnerable. A lot stuff I wasn't. I was. Too afraid of people so I talk much, and when I entered the second time at 23 years old, I was really surrounded by a lot of loving people. and people my age, and uh, a strong group of sober kids that were very, very much uh, friendly and supportive to me. Um, after Thomas died, I would say about half of them went away, and. Uh, hated me and wanted me because they were hurting. Right. Uh, and the other half were very on my side, been very supportive. So I was not by myself during the trial. And even after the trial, I was in San Diego and uh, there were a lot of people very upset that I was acquitted. Someone was talking about, you know, someone's got a gun or whatever. And so I just left. I drove up to Los Angeles, almost there for six months or so. Right. Um, one of my buddies came with me. He was this gutter punk that I was his, uh, his mentor or sponsor. And he jumped in the car dude, and we just went up to L.A. So I wasn't alone,
0: no. So when you get back in there, you get to Iraq, you're, you, 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 you want to die in combat, which would be the ultimate narrative change from the guy that could have, could have committed suicide and done whatever. Is this where you really find your passion to your quest to go to school for art, but now you can actually start doing the tattooing there?
1: So uh, it wasn't my idea to start tattooing, right? It was It was someone else's idea. And <laughs> anybody who's been in an infantry unit knows that it is the smallest island in the world, right? Me and you could be sitting here talking and Lance Corporal Smith outside, here's what we're talking about. And it's gone through the whole company. Right. And by Press fire, Doc on the phone with Joe Rogan. You know what I mean? Right. Like <laughs> the way, like, that's the way that stuff goes. Information just spreads. And when when a group of people are together for that long of time, they become one. Right. They they become one living breathing to, to, to a degree. Um And so one guy had an idea that I should do tattoos and then my CO and XO were cool with it. And then by the end of the day, there was $5,000 to order tattoo equipment. I mean, it just kind of, that's how it happened. So
0: what was the the first tattoo you actually did on someone you were serving with?
1: I did the word strength, the back of a guy's calf. And so
0: you actually had no expect- – did you – have like, how did you even know what to do?
1: So I, like- I, got, I got tattooed, But I did not put the fucking thing together. I, I had some friends at home who were artists. And the first sergeant let me use a sat phone, and I, I called them when I was putting stuff together. Uh, we used to be able to call home, and I got the list. You know, one of my friends, Nathan – very kind. He gave me the whole list of everything to buy, including a sterilizer. And uh, I was just lucky, man. I was lucky that there were viewers that were willing to give me direction, even if it was just via over the phone.
0: And now, would you?
1: How long did you serve? You
0: finished out the rest of your full eight years, correct?
1: I, I did. I did five initially, and then I did twenty-two months gotcha. on, on an extension.
0: So when that came up to um, Extend or Get Out, obviously you chose to get out. What was your plan then to really
1: fulfill this dream of tattooing? I just started tattooing. I had a guy who was going to apprentice me. I got a job putting together furniture in San Diego, and I just dove right in. I, I probably would have been, in hindsight, better off taking unemployment and, uh, and going to, to apprentice in a shop, but I was too proud at the time. Uh, I, I, I had some very fixed ideas on what was, uh, what I was willing to do. I always wanted to work for everything. And to me, unemployment was welfare. I just, I was too young to know up from down. And so I got this job, uh, my, my master let me go because I wasn't able to be there enough. And I was tattooed in a little apartment and I went to Arizona with a girl and there was this old biker dude there and he was looking at my tattoos and he's like, Well oh, man, you know, like you're not that good, but if you lived here, I would hire you. And I was like, dude, I live here right now. I just moved. And so I moved the next day yep. to started working in that guy's shop. I was just hungry for any opportunity, man. Like once I got once I got a director, I felt I felt some redemption after the war and I felt some level of grace and I felt some level of happy to be alive, I I just dove in and went for it, and I was willing to put in the work.
0: Well, what's fascinating is that a guy you don't even know, a big biker dude, is giving you a chance, doesn't know who you are. What's that say about the people that did, did know you or supposedly should have loved you and didn't that never gave you the time of day or did these awful things to you? It's kind of it's kind of crazy when you think about it.
1: Well, I mean, I like I said, I... I, I ran a, across a lot of really good people too, you know? And, and if I would have wrote a book that just told me, told you about every good person that was ever cool to me in my life, like it doesn't get the story out
0: of... That's the media now where it has to be bad, murder,
1: death, kill. Like That's the, only, that's the only thing that sells money now, which is unfortunate. Well, it, but it's not even that. It's that I don't need to recover from all the good people. You know, I don't need to that's recover yep. from, from the social worker when I was younger who who came and saw me Once a week, even after he wasn't getting paid to do so. And when he, you know, he suspected that my father was doing evil shit to me, I tell him because I knew he had to report. He said, you know, I probably shouldn't even say this, but I think that you should get out because I think that she's going to try to kill you. You know, I mean. Right. (laughs) eh. Now, who are some of your favorite
0: artists, whether they're tattoo or comic artists or anyone illustrators that you kind of looked up to that you kind of admire their work?
1: Well, um, I, I like, uh, I don't have like, I love Steve Smith. He's my sensei. He's a great painter and and tattooer. Um, I, I, there's so many good artists and I'm not super educated in like all the names of whoever things are. I I like styles of art. I mean, there's a guy named Gerhard Weisbeck that does really incredible tattoo art, um, you know, Horiyoshi, the old Japanese masters. Um, I, I like, you know, the old school tattoo guys. Like when right. I started tattooing, I, I put every uh, intention and interest and wh- whatever I could get into tattooing and tattoo artists. Um, so most of the artists I know, of uh, people wouldn't even, like Lyle Tuttle up in San Francisco, like OG paved the way for us. Um, But at the same time, I don't really have all that stuff much. I have like the tattoo under a rock.
0: (laughs) Before we went live, you were telling me, speaking of art, you were telling me about that um, painting of the Pegasus above your head and the story behind it and the fact you have that so central kind of on your wall, it's just, it's a pretty powerful uh, image. I don't know if you want to talk about that now, but
1: yeah, well, it's a fucking trophy for me, man. Right. I, I earned the fuck out of that painting. When when I was a kid, my mom had some charm. She, she would have these things that were like higher expectations than I think I would expect of a kid. But if I if I left something out or, or fucked something up or did make a mark on this chart, if I had seven marks at the end of the week, I'd get the shit beat out of me, right? Uh, after. So one week I did really good. I only had three marks and my brother had a whole bunch of fucking marks and he always did. and so my mom continued next week. She thought that since there was only three, it must have been a glitch. So I had okay. four and I was gonna get my ass be really upset about it. seven years old or so and I felt like I always had a strong sense of justice, right? As a kid. Right. Really angry and I, I took off like I knew my stepdad was coming home after we were done with. I was riding around and he sent my older brother to find me and he said, hey man, like, uh, your stepdad's not mad at you. Uh, he paint, he drew you a Pegasus. He drew you a Pegasus and he wants you to come home and get it. And I was like, oh cool, I'm not in trouble. I just get a Pegasus. And when I got home, he, he beat me so bad that I limped today, you know, and, and my back went out a couple of times in the service, but I sucked it up. And as I've gotten older, the cartilage damage when I was yeah. young in that. Like, you know, my body is a little crooked. Like, I don't ever crooked, but, you know, I had constant pain my whole life. And uh, when I was writing the book and I figured it out, like, that's where that initially came from. I went and visited that guy, and I told him what he did to me. And I told him that I wanted my Pegasus, and he painted it for me. Sorry. I mean, as much as he could, an old biker dude, That's he's yep. kind of – but, yeah, I got my Pegasus.
0: One of the things I've kind of – again – Again, we talked before, I, your book's on the docket to read all this, and I, can't re- I can not only focus on one book at a time. I get so caught up, whether it's uh, the newest Tom Clancy type book or Jack Carr or an autobiography about whatever. And uh, So once I get to your book, I can't wait to really dive into it and all this stuff. But I've sent, I sense a pattern of good versus evil. And growing up, and some of my favorite books growing up was always like uh, Chronicles of Darnia or J.R.R. Or, uh, Tolkien, where it's like you have these monsters things. and knights and good versus evil. But here you are as just a regular, I'm going to say regular human being, because we all are, but you're a human being that is continued to be browbeat by these evil, these just awful life Life just beat you up, and here you are pushing through it. For you to now put a book out or now start doing stuff where you get out there on social media telling your story or helping men and women who maybe they have PTSD or maybe they're abused in an orphanage, for you to be out there, I mean, this is the fight that, that you're destined to be at this level, to fight for these people, and hopefully in turn, as they get stronger, help you fight this battle too. That For me, that's just so badass, man.
1: Thanks, man. Thank you. And and I'm not trying to say that I'm all better, right? Right. And this morning. I, I had I had you know, I'm I'm sitting here working on this project that is not really of much benefit to me, man. Like I'm already good in my life. I don't need uh you know, to be a writer to to be okay, right? I'm already okay. I'm I'm living my life and and to go back fucking through that shit over and over and over and then Send it out and deal with rejections and deal with all these like this other like it was like a project that started out as, hey, I'm just going to write this book and let people read it to this whole enterprise. Right. And this morning, dude, I was just fucking waves of just exhaustion and shame. And dude, what are you even bothering doing this for? What are you fucking stupid like that old voice? Right. But that's the whole purpose. Because that voice, that committee, those feelings are what is implanted in it when you fuck them up, right? When you beat them or beat them up or make them feel not good enough or starve them or do all those things that, that happened to me. And it wasn't bad all the time, bro. Like, my foster mom was cool sometimes. So was my mom, you know? But she still raped me, you know? Right. Uh, so there was a lot of, like you know, and, and and talking with other people, dude, there's stuff that I just don't do anymore, which is great. I mean, I used to punch myself, dude, in the head when, when stuff got too bad. And I was reading this other doctor's book that he wrote about it. He said, that's pretty common, you know, for people to self-harm, like to punch themselves in the head when things get overwhelming. It was shit I didn't understand. And, you know, today, aside from writing and going back through that shit over and over again, because i Fucking don't like doing it. I like writing the second half of the book with the edits. You know,
0: <laughs> right?
1: I, I don't want to. I'm like I'm like probably anyone else listening to this. I don't want to fuck my childhood, man. Like, I, I, it's just it's boring. It's like who gives a shit? You're 43 now, whatever. But the problem with that line of thinking is that pretend that I'm a computer, right? right. Well, my first eight years, I got all my programming. You know what I mean? My all, all my software was uploaded, and if it's bad, guess what? When I discover bad software, I get to reprogram that and throw the bad shit out.
0: Right now, it's just fascinating because one, th- I hesitated to reach out initially to you because I'm like, I don't know. I I assume kind of what you just said that, man, for this the guy that I don't know to jump on my spear talk and just talk about his. Um, his career and life. And for selfish reasons, like I want to hear this guy's story because I think people that follow myself and what I do might know someone or have been in these shoes and want to hear his words. So for selfish reasons, I'm glad you're here, but even more so now, it's just, it's so reassuring that you can openly talk about this. While I do know it, it is painful and, and I I can, I don't even have a, a fraction of the idea of what you go through every day. Um, but, even in those bad days, you still find the light, no matter how dim it is, to kind of wake up the next morning and have a better day than the day before. That it's just, I, I don't know if I truly understand what you go through on a daily basis,
1: the battles you always fight. And uh, it's, dude, I feel so good on a daily basis. Like, I, I described it to a, a therapist one time, right? Cause I go to a therapist and you, right i don't give a fuck dude like there's nothing like because i get trolled like when i'm in the fucking veteran areas all that kind of shit you can't fucking say anything to me any worse than anything my head <laughs> fuck you you know what i mean I, I love going to my fucking therapist and uh so i was talking to her and she she was concerned after i went through this treatment because i was feeling good you know interesting and- and she said, well, I'm working, you know, it's kind of a new one. The VA tends to switch in there. And I said, well, doc, have you ever had diarrhea for nine months? And all of a sudden you don't. <laughs> he said, no. And I know you've had diarrhea before where you feel bad. You get those cramps. And then when it's over, you feel so good. You now, know I-, I just
0: realized that. The, with the military background you have, with the VA, I know that's a soft spot or sore spot for a lot of veterans because they don't do enough or it's a pain in the ass to go through the pro I hear from my CEO all the time. He's He has to call me when he has one of his bad days. He's like, I can't deal with this. They're going to give me pills. I don't want to do this. I don't want to talk to these other veterans. And It's just his way of letting it out. Yes. Um, but with the VA, did you find that with this type of case of yours, not only with the PTSD of actually serving and being in iraq afghanistan but with your background were they beneficial to you or is there anything you would change and how they were able to kind of help you
1: i'm so grateful that's awesome i mean san diego is not that bad i've heard horror stories about other places and stuff but to me the va reminds me a little bit of the military right where everybody has this thing and they're like this thing this stuff <laughs> right now there are some things about the va like here in san diego i'd rather die of sepsis and go to the er you know what i mean like you cannot make me wow yeah no i hear you you know i've heard that too 32 hour wait every time you go i'm not interested at all but you know the site care has been really great um you know i got uh i've gotten so much from the va and from the people around the va that contribute and volunteer there there is i don't think there's any place in the world better to veteran than the United States of America. I don't think so. I mean, that's
0: awesome, Greg. Now, when you do, I'm familiar with like, when people go to AA, like I've had friends or colleagues that go there, they, they don't really tell me much. I've never been to one myself. um, Nor have I been asked to be a sponsor, uh, but which, which is fine. But I guess my question is where would you go? Would you, are there meeting groups like the AA for, People like you that suffer from the abuse, or say the molestation, or the the the, the abuse from parent, like how where did where did people like yourself go to talk to other people outside of a therapist the VA? <laughs> uh,
1: there is there's like ACOA, other stuff like that. But what I found, man, um, I wrote, uh, I, I started a twelve step group for combat match part of. Awesome. And resilience training anonymous. Based it off the other twelve step programs, and to be honest with you, man, that's where I go to talk about it with the other combat vets because they all had the same shit happen to them, you know. um Or they're or they're willing to admit that they had that happen to them. There's 68 million people in the United States who were raped as kids. Uh, that's a staggering amount of people. Staggering, and we men don't like to talk about it. We don't like to deal with it, and the the impacts and effects of that for life, for life, if we don't deal with it, are not great. They're not great.
0: It's weird. And I think I think it was January where I did a topic that had an awesome guest on awesome guest on with domestic abuse for the I think it was January domestic abuse awareness month. And she was talking about the statistics of what's not reported for abuse and stuff. And then we went even further, it's like you the women women won't report Regarding like certain stuff statistically, but the men, she goes, you don't, you can't even get really numbers on this stuff because men, because it's so taboo for a man to admit he's been abused or molested. And it's, it, it kind of makes you think that if there's that many people out there that have been molested and abused, and why is it so taboo to kind of talk
1: about that? Because really a- dude, it sucks. Right. It sucks. That's so horrible. Right, I don't want to think about that. It's, I mean, it's just an awful image. Why would we want to? Fuck no, we don't want to talk about that. Right. But if we don't talk about the effects, right, and come right, up,
0: which is why, I'm, right, exactly.
1: You know, um, yeah. Since, since I started writing and being public, right, about uh, about about what happened, it, it's weird. I'm like, uh, I've been a confidant for a lot of people you know who who because I've said it dude there was a guy i really respect um in my field i've known for years never would have had any reason to talk about this or whatever you know but i was tattooing a, a year and a half ago or so and obviously i would never say his name he says that to me in private there yeah. you couldn't put a gun to my head i'm not going to tell you but um he comes in and he goes uh just uh stop by to tell you that I by my dad and you and the person you're tattooing are the only people that I've ever told in my life and I'm leaving now. And he turned around and walked away. And I was like, "That you know, just it's so hard to even just break that first silence, right? So is that a tough cross for
0: you to bear for others like that individual to approach you? And obviously once this book and all this other stuff starts building and there's talk shows and you're going to have to go out there and talk about this. Uh, more so. Is this a cross that you, or you want uh, to carry? I mean, I, I think you can. You know, obviously, I believe you can, it, but do you want to just, carry these other crosses?
1: It doesn't hurt me. It doesn't hurt okay. me. You know? It, it Me too doesn't hurt. You know? And, and I know there was, like, a big feminine movement with the Me Too it might not appeal to, you know, but but before that movement, man, I mean, when I went to on treatment for for combat PTSD, one of the guys, the guy, Jake Clark, he goes, you know, there's a really uh, powerful thing that we can say around here. When somebody says something, he goes, if you, if you feel it, if it happens, you say me too. You know what I mean? Uh, then it became like a, like a thing, you know? Right. But no, not at all, man. Not at all. I I can't f- fucking help everybody. Obviously. Like I don't, I wrote a book to help. Uh, there, there's people me about, some, and I'm like, I got everything right there that I could possibly say to you, you know what I mean? Like, it's right here, read it, you can have it. Um, but I tend to be like a, some kind of guru life coach or something like that. Like, I, my, my intent is to share my experience in a way that you can hear or a certain individual can hear it. Because my voice is able to be heard by some people where another voice isn't. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, it'd,
0: be, it'd be like someone like you. For me, I never experienced any of this what you went through and which I'm forever grateful to. But I also realized that if, in my bad days and for selfish reasons, a bad day for me and I, I don't ever complain, but a bad day for me to be like, oh, this work call didn't go well or my dad's sick again. and then It, it takes me literally five minutes to be like, okay, my dad said, okay, dad, I got it. But you know what? There's a kid dying of cancer in Dana Farber somewhere right now. Or there's someone so much more worse than me that whatever I'm wasting my time on, if it helps me get through that kind of blip in my day, sure. But I have to pull myself back and be like, hold on a second. Like, I'm not having a bad day. And as bad as your day is, Forrest, I'm sure there's been people worse days than you. And you're kind of like, to, to, to visualize that, which goes back to when I finally reached out to you and like, you're so you motivate me because and I've never, I never lived the life you have. I've never been in your shoes. I don't know even the military aspect of it. And for you to openly put this out there and for me to take it in and be that affected by it, I can only imagine how much it affects people that might have a a part of this life that you experienced happen to them to kind of look at your book or what you're saying. It's, It's just so powerful,
1: man. Can I come at what you said from a little bit of a different angle? Because I've done that. I've thought about, you know, I watched Slumdog Millionaire, and I thought about, you know, what about the child prostitute in, in India and in the slums and how bad they had it and all. a lot. Yeah, that can help me. That's one tool, right? That's one tool. But also we get to realize that <clears throat> when we're in the hospital, like if, if I was still in the Navy, right, right. and you hurt your, and you came up to me, you're like, ankle hurts. I'd be like, well, how bad does it hurt on a scale of zero? Zero is nothing. Ten is the worst pain you felt. Not the worst pain that Sergeant Stillwagon felt when he got hit by the IED. The worst pain. So we can, I I do, acknowledge, hey, this fucking sucks. And I feel like shit right now. And ABC is happening, right? And I feel this depression trying to pull me down. And I feel like all these things that are awful. But, dude, what kind of life do I want to have? This is my life. This is my life. I have earned the right to be miserable if I want to. And that's what I want to do, man. And so how do I shift? There's tools I use to shift, man. Gratitude, sometimes anger, um, vulnerability, like doing something. What am I going to do to be okay anyway? You know what I'm saying?
0: And we talked about fear and anger and these emotions. They're okay to have those emotions. Absolutely. It just took me a little bit over the course of the last couple of years to find it really, it's okay for me to be angry or I can say I have, I, I can say I have a bad day, like I'm having a bad day, but I also realize that my day isn't that bad.
1: Go ahead. Here's the real power that we, have, right? I cannot control what I think. I've never met anybody who I believe right, right. that they could control what they think. And it's even harder to control how I feel. Right. <clears throat> But it's possible to adjust our feelings a little bit. We don't have full control over our emotions. It's entirely possible to affect what I say. My voice is the most powerful weapon that I have. The, The power of declaration is a very, very power that human beings have that other animals don't. And when I choose to vocalize positive things or where I want my life to go in spite of what's going on here, I win. I went with the work coming
0: up with angel blue and everything, like where do you want to see yourself in the next two years to five years with that project? Or is there an end goal in sight for, for that project? Or is this something that's be always continuing? You're going to keep doing what you do. Well,
1: uh, there, there's other things I want to do. I'm sure I'll do some speaking. Um, my end goal, my ideal life, like, uh, the building where Thomas died, I have purchased that thing, and I have obliterated the apartment, I died in and made it into some kind of cool, like statue or something, fountain or something yep. And that I have a Kava bar and a tattoo shop, and I am able to show move ox, have it be a sober community area. And then in my tattoo shop, set up to obliterate human marks with laser removal and tattoo. So. Um, Obviously, they were children, just laser them off for them. Uh, If they were adults, for the adults, they could choose whether they want covered up or uh, lasered off.
0: Now, with the – California is that one state where it seems like nothing's opened up yet and all this stuff. But with your business, once every kind of stuff really starts poking up and people are at least wearing a face mask and at least go and get their hair done and tattoos, where can people – like how do you could you go on your social media and find your tattoo shop? How do they reach out to you if they want to get your work done? I mean, the, the work behind you and stuff like your stuff is really awesome. I
1: don't have a tattoo either, so maybe you might be my first tattoo. For for you, yeah, but I'm not taking um, new tattoo appointments right now. Not till I open up my shop post COVID. Right, right. To my current clients, um, but if they want to find me, uh, I'm way more interested in, in promoting and. Uh, talking about Angel Blue, my book. So on Instagram, I I, <laughs> I made an Angel Blue book. <laughs> <laughs> like my little stupid stamp for it. And, uh, if you want to hit me up there, I've got a website, forestlang.com. Um, and if you want to read the manuscript as I have it right now, drop me an email or a uh, message or comment on the uh, Instagram stuff, because I'm not... I don't really give a shit about book sales and I, I probably shouldn't say that on, on a podcast
0: right as the uh as the a uh, sub or
1: publishing companies like what do you say okay cool <laughs> when it gets to that point yeah I want to sell it so the publishing company it gets their stuff because once once I get it to a publisher I feel like it will have a wider reach um than I can even though I'll still be promoting on my I could be wrong you know it could be the yeah, I mean, all it takes is the right people to hear your
0: message, which is why yeah. I'm so glad you're on here. Because once we kind of get this ready and launch it for, I think in April, um, it's gonna it'll be really cool. I think people are gonna be at first taken aback that here's a living human tissue here being Forrest Lang. That you're gonna start talking about the stuff and be like this guy's still here kicking. How is this guy so? positive how is this guy how is he doing what he's doing now and so again it just takes one person to listen to the person after that they pass it through like that wildfire and it's your your message and your story is something that should catch on fire and uh whatever i can do on my end through spirit talk or um the security company is it's just awesome and uh no i thank you for being on here forrest
1: thank you man like i said it really is an honor to be here in more ways than one i appreciate I do. It's so
0: awesome so I let's we'll see uh have a great night. I will be in touch and then uh we'll do this again soon too. Awesome.
1: Thanks, Thanks. bro. Good night.